because of Ron Paul, I am a much better libertarian. And I'm also the editor of the great Ron Paul, the Scott Horton Show interviews 2004 through 2019. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. The Other and Ron Paul Podcast starts now. I would like to welcome uh, Scott Horton to the Honor and Ron Paul Podcast. I'm extremely excited. This is uh, one of the biggest gets of the podcast so far. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Scott Horton is the a voice of the Scott Horton Show on uh, KPFK uh, in Southern California and uh, antiwar.com. Uh, he's very involved in managing editor. What What's your editorial title? director, editorial director um, and kind of the go to uh, voice for foreign policy information uh, within the entire world. But, you know, unfortunately, mainly it's libertarians who are really jazzed about him. Uh, most of people in the mainstream uh, aren't particularly interested in the deep, dark truth of uh, the current foreign policy. But all of that is not really what I want to talk about. I'm going to send you guys to the Scott Horton Show to get all that deep dive in regards to foreign policy. But Scott, if you wouldn't mind, go back a little bit and tell us kind of uh, where you started politically and and uh, where did... Uh, when did you first encounter the great Ron Paul, as you call him? Uh, well, I've pretty much always been a libertarian. Um, I never really chose left or right. I was uh, inoculated against that uh, before I had an opportunity to go down either of those dark paths. Uh, and Ron was certainly a very early influence on me. I saw him uh, – I guess I heard him on – on the radio for the first time in 1996. But then what really made an impression on me, my Rudy Giuliani moment, so to speak, uh, that happened for so many people in 2007. Mine was in 1997. It was when he had first come back to Congress. And um, so I was 21, I guess, that year. And I saw him in the middle of the night on C-SPAN giving a speech and talking about how George Bush Sr., had been selling weapons to Saddam Hussein right up until the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait and had even continued, I think, some of the transfers of money or something had continued even after Desert Shield had begun oh. uh, <laughs> in the buildup to uh, force them back out again in 1990. And then it said, I mean, who is essentially, you know, it was a, a brutal attack on on former President Bush. And I looked at the bottom of the screen and it said R, Texas, after his name. And I thought, well, isn't that something? That he's not just a Republican, but he's a Republican from Texas, which Bush Sr. was nominally from there. He'd made the, his oil fortune there and had a, certainly had a presence in Texas politics. And um, that was just incredible to me. And then so I started finding his name in more and more places and, and following him. And he stuck up for the Branch Davidians as uh, very few other congressmen did, and uh, was an anti-war guy. And that was something that was really important to me was the narrative. You know, early on, I learned this in high school, that you don't have to be any kind of leftist or liberal to be anti-war at all. 
And there are great right wing and libertarian narratives against foreign interventionism. And so anti-war is for everyone can be and should be. And Ron Paul was a great example of that. He didn't just oppose Iraq War II. He opposed Iraq War One and a Half when Bill Clinton was bombing Iraq all the time in between the two wars. In fact, when Clinton was impeached, uh, Ron Paul voted for the impeachment, but he gave a press conference where he said, and in fact, this has been reprinted very recently by Norm Singleton at the Campaign for Liberty. You can find it. Um, And it's it's on YouTube. And it's Ron Paul saying he should be impeached for Operation Desert Fox, what he's doing right now. Um, which isn't that funny that Clinton named his bombing of Iraq that campaign in December of 98 after Erwin Rommel, <laughs> Hitler's Rommel. loyal servant. Anyway, uh, so um, imagine, well, sorry, imagine if Trump had, had named something after a Nazi. General. I never understood that. And no one else seemed to notice that. Wait, did he name it Desert Fox? That's odd. I don't know. Anyway, but Ron said that's what he should be impeached for. And in that same press conference, he says this is the kind of thing that engenders terrorism against the American people. And we should stop. You know, we should stop pretending that we can do what we do and not have to face consequences for that. He said that long before September 11th. And, um, and you know, Bill Clinton's policy toward Iraq was just absolutely cruel. So the people who were paying attention, which was very few – were really against it because it was really horrible and it was very obviously creating new enemies for us while you know the vast majority of the population was completely oblivious to these narratives for the people who cared and were interested it was pretty obvious and uh, he was certainly one of those and and it's been great this whole time as one of the things the first things i liked about antiwar.com as soon as i started reading antiwar.com right there in the viewpoints is ron paul all his articles are house floor speeches and they're all anti-war and they're all perfect. And and this is something that I know that you've noticed about Ron mm-hmm. is that he knows what he's talking about always. It's not just principle. He knows all about the North Korea crisis, you know, decades back. He knows who did what and what worked and what didn't and who screwed up everything and why they shouldn't have bothered in the first place and all the different things. He knows everything about it. Same thing for Iran and their nuclear program. Same thing for all the Iraqi wars and Al Qaeda and everything else. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I just realized there may be some correlation. You would probably know a little bit better about this, but, you know, kind of that silent war uh, against Iraq with the significant sanctions, people starving. Um, it, any correlation to kind of what's going on now in, in Yemen, how there's this kind of proxy silent war that the U.S. is involved in and people are starving and no one even is paying attention but obviously at some point that support for that uh action is going to really come back at us i think that's really important i mean there's two major parallels in the first place the blockade doesn't work according to the stated goals of the people implementing it the people of iraq and the people of yemen have not been made so poor and weak and miserable that it has driven them to rise up and overthrow their government for us. Doesn't that even just sound stupid on its face? Also, it doesn't work. It didn't work then. It killed a lot of Iraqis and it made a lot of enemies for America, powerful ones, but it never did change the regime. And the same thing here in Yemen for five years. America, they call it the Saudi-led coalition, but America is 
the world empire, the global hegemon, certainly the regional hegemon in the Middle East. And the Saudi Arabians and the UAE, there are our satellite states, our client states. And so what Obama says goes, Prince Mohammed bin Salman asked, hey, Obama, can I start this war? And Obama said, yeah, I'm with you. That was five years ago. Trump came in and has continued it the whole time. And it's essentially it is the Obama policy of leading from behind, which is another way of saying a little bit of plausible deniability for the American TV audience that, oh, it's not us doing it. It's our, you know, native shock troops, white officers with the locals doing the dirty work for us and this kind of thing, which is just it's good PR, but it doesn't diffuse from the actual responsibility of the American government for that war that's gone on there this whole time. And it has been, as you correctly say, a deliberate, it's had as a major component of it, a blockade against the country and including shutting down of their airport. And it fluctuates. I don't want to be, you know, total about this because that's not the truth. It sometimes there's more trade than other times, but for many years uh, there was I mean, I think probably, you know, more than two solid years out of the five, maybe three, there's been essentially no trade in and out of the Hodeida port there on the Red Sea. And it is increasing now. But still, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people being deprived to death. According to the U.N., at least 230,000 people mm. who have died either in the violence or of starvation disease. It's been massive uh, cholera epidemics breaking out. Largest in recorded history. And there were cholera epidemics breaking out in Iraq under Bill Clinton's war there. Um, another parallel. And yes, it is. It's just absolute. Look what it is. It's cruelty piled on absurdity. The people of Yemen, we're going to starve them until they overthrow their government. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. That can't work. Let's and yet it's so the policy anyway. We're starving the people anyway. Yeah. And, you know, I actually just finished interviewing a guy about this, so I'm a little hot on the subject right now. Let me bring up for your for your audience real quick. Just search Martha Mundy, M-U-N-D-Y. And she's a professor from the London School of Economics. And she studied and documented thoroughly the deliberate starvation campaign, the targeting of the farms, the grain silos, the sheep in the fields. All the irrigation systems, if there's a local farmer's market, they bomb that. They do mm. everything they can to destroy from the bottom up the agricultural economy of that country in a deliberate medieval starvation campaign against the population. It is the worst thing the U.S. government is doing right now. It is absolutely horrible. And yeah. you're right. As you introduced it, hardly anybody even notices or cares. Because they just hide behind, oh, yeah, 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 that's the Saudi-led coalition. And by the way, look, the Russians are some stupid garbage. And yeah. no one even knows. that This is why Donald Trump should be impeached and removed and prosecuted. That's why he should be sharing a supermax cell with Barack Obama for the rest of his natural life. Because he's a war criminal. Yeah. It, just like, uh, you know, how they impeached Clinton for uh, perjury. But. You know, there's all sorts of, I mean, on, on the day that they announced the, Monica Lewinsky did this uh, 
completely artificial attack on that what turned out to be a, a medicine factory they said it was a chemical yep. factory and yeah um, i mean and think about that in 98 and that's war crimes too they ought to all be sharing a cell these guys george bush don't let's don't leave them out all these guys yeah. um and and you're right look when the day that he attacked the sudanese antibiotics factory in 1998 was the day that Lewinsky was beginning her testimony before the grand jury and then yeah. Half a year later, in December, the day that he launched Desert Fox was the day that the House was to begin debating the full articles of impeachment. They'd been voted out of the Judiciary Committee, and that was the first day they were going to debate the impeachment. And he launches, oh, guess what? He's bombing Iraq's weapons of mass destruction programs that haven't existed since 1991. Yeah. When they sold them to him. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, – yeah, absolutely. And listen, people died. I mean, you know, even the critics, the Republican critics of Clinton said, oh, he bombed the aspirin factory, just trying to minimize it, correctly saying it was not an Al-Qaeda chemical weapons factory. That is completely bogus. Everybody knew that. But it wasn't an aspirin factory. It was an antibiotics factory. And that was, you know, for people as well as I think for livestock, too. And I mean, there were massive consequences of this for Sudan. You know, people dying of easily treatable diseases because their entire supply of antibiotics was shut down for a year or more. And you know what? Speaking of C-SPAN, I saw that night C-SPAN piped in footage from Sudanese TV. They were like, hey, let's check it out and just switched it over and let us watch Sudanese TV on C-SPAN. And there was the president of Sudan wearing a three-piece suit and wingtips, walking through the rubble of this supposed chemical weapons factory, breathing in the smoke and saying, right. yeah, oh, what a, yeah, what a bunch of VX we're making here, huh? <laughs> you know, mocking the whole thing. I mean, he was standing in the middle of the rubble. I saw it that night. And that was how innocent he knew the whole thing was, a, you know, he didn't have any question of what was going on there. And, wow. and that was a bunch of garbage. But anyway, I'm off on a tangent, but <laughs> I do. I that. think I caused that tangent, but let's go back to Ron Paul. So we left him in 97 and then coming up through uh, the campaigns, you were aware of him well before I was aware of him. So what did you think was going to happen when uh, you heard that he was going to run? Did you think he was just going to be a, a sideshow or uh, did you oh, think man, he was no, make the I'll tell you. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, that first thing I did, let's see. I'm not sure if Eric Garris called me. I think I called him, but I can't remember anymore what it was that I read. Can you let people know who Eric Garris is? Oh, Eric Garris. He is the founder and the boss at antiwar.com. And I'm trying to remember now exactly how it was I found out, but the, I remember that the phrase was exploratory committee. He's open. That's what they say. You know, oh, I've opened mm. an exploratory committee, into, which is the same thing as I'm running for president. And as soon as that happened, I called Eric or he called me or whichever. And we were just as excited as could be because, you know, we we're both hardcore Ron Paul heads and we both already know everything that he has to say about everything and that it's essentially great. And that if he's running for president, then that means he gets a microphone. And so let's see what happens. Um, I don't think I think we both were a little bit fearful because we love the guy so much. And he's such a decent and kind 
sort of guy that I think we both were like a little kind of, oh, no, I hope that they are not too hard on him, which they were, mm-hmm. man. You know, they're merciless against him, but he's ducks back. He don't care, dude. He knows the time. So he's all right. So we were a little bit worried about that. Like how merciless are they going to be against him? But of course, you know, the big bully Giuliani, all he did was set him up. It was yeah. like, you know, Biff and, uh, and, um, uh, Michael J. Fox's dad, you know, what's his name? <laughs> Back to the few, just set him up for the big knockout yeah. and, um, get your damn hands off her. Yeah, exactly. And I completely blew that analogy because I forgot the character's name completely. McFly. <laughs> McFly, right. McFly, yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it was just great. And for any of your audience who's just never seen it, there's a about an hour and a half or two hour long documentary called For Liberty, How mm-hmm. Ron Paul Watered the Withered Tree of Liberty. And it is, I promise, worth watching the entire thing. I mean, it is just incredible. It is just great. And it all begins with that moment. And think about this, too. Okay, the Giuliani moment. It's not just that he stood up to a bully. was a context. Ron Paul said, look, the reason we were attacked is because we've been bombing Iraq for 10 years from bases in Saudi. And so that's why we were attacked on 9-11. It wasn't because... Islam makes them hate freedom, you know, and Giuliani pretends that, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, Bill Clinton bombed Iraq. I don't know. You're crazy. That's crazy. He legitimately and so Ron might Paul essentially know. was he was feeding the American people the most bitter pill to swallow. He was telling them not just the truth, but the horrible truth that our government brought this on by killing innocent people. They provoked, hey, their own former mercenaries into turning against us. And he said in his answer, he said, if we think we can just go around the world doing whatever we want to people and that we won't have to face the consequences from that, then we do that at our own peril. And we leave our people open for violence. And so it's an improper policy, man. It's irresponsible of us in the government to do this and put our own people in danger in this way. I mean, and the crowd went boo because they're all Republicans in the you know party um, movement members and and GOP members in the audience and they hated it. And then but the American people just millions overnight were like you know what I already knew that was true. I remember the 1990s existed before the new millennium and I remember that Bill Clinton was not some peace loving hippie. And he spent his whole time trying to prove what a hippie he wasn't by killing Iraqis. And so you know what that makes sense to me. And, um, you know, millions of people, millions and millions and millions, probably 20 million people, something immediately had the light bulb go off and join the Ron Paul revolution, did everything they could to push. And that to me is, you know, it's first of all, it's a mark of his bravery that he's just going to tell the truth. I'm sorry, the CIA coined the term blowback. It means consequences from when the CIA does stuff. And, you know, I mean, so it was in the face of. You know, Goliath, he's willing to sling a stone no matter what. Right. But then also that the American people, many of them were, you know, in the right frame of mind to hear that in the right, in the correct spirit, you know, and that this guy wasn't accusing me. He's sticking up for me. He's accusing them and 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 really understood. And then he ended up getting more donations in 08 and in 12. He got more support from active duty and retired military enlisted and officers 
than all the other candidates combined, combined. And that includes when he was running against McCain in 08. And that includes when he was running against the incumbent president in 2012. Yeah. And it, it was uh, uh, by a. Uh, is almost double as well. If you look at some of those charts, I mean, it's is a huge outlier in the amount of uh, donations from active duty military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see what's and, going on there, right? It's all about social psychology. If I tell you that in order to change your point of view on this or that subject, that you have to change your whole identity from one thing to another, like say, for example, you have to now come with me and join Code Pink, then you're right. just going to not do that, Right. But if I tell you, hey, look, here is a Republican congressman from Texas saying, hey, Code Pink's got nothing on me. You want to talk anti-war? I got your anti-war right here. And by the way, you don't have to believe in this stuff that they say because it's not true. You'll hear it from him, right? right? He's giving you a permission slip. You don't have to identify yourself with Michael Moore and Jane Fonda. And I love the girls from Code Pink. I'm not slamming them, but I'm just saying – they have their position on the left. It's very well defined and it's very exclusive of anybody on the right who might want to agree with them in a way. It, you know, it does its own thing, but it's also, it kind of dissuades others. And so what Ron Paul was saying was essentially he looks just like George Bush. He's a Republican, Protestant, you know, married white male from Texas, Methodist, everything. He, he's just like George Bush in every way, so he's not the son of a Bush. Uh, but, you know, appearances sake, on the surface, he looks just like Bush, but his message was everything about the Bush doctrine is wrong. We shouldn't fight at all. Just come home. Forget it. And, you know, people rallied to that. It's too bad it didn't quite work out. <laughs> Because, you know, um, things could be a lot better now. Barack Obama, see, this is what happened. Barack Obama came out and said, well, I'm exactly like George Bush, except on the surface, I'm not. Right. (laughs) On the book by its cover since, hey, tall, dark and handsome and Democratic Party from Illinois and all of that. That's totally different than George W. Bush. And so everybody bought into, you know, the image difference. And what they really wanted was to repudiate Bush. But they went with repudiating him by image instead of repudiating him in substance, unfortunately, you know, uh, which part of that was because they Ron was running against the Bush legacy while he was still sitting in the chair in his same party, which made it a little more difficult. But Mm -hmm. but every uh, debate after that, it was like, um, you know, the next debate, they asked him a foreign policy question, trying to trip him up more because they thought that was going to be something that was not going to play well in the Republican debates. And there was, you know, some cheers for Ron. And then the debate after that, you know, they had these huge cheers for Ron. And the moderators were like, what's going on here? You know, as as more and more people started packing those debates so they could have their voice literally heard on the TV saying that, you know, we like what Ron's saying. Yep. You know, in 2012, there's a great one. I think you can find this too. It was the Heritage Foundation AEI debate. So all of the worst neocons are there in the audience. And Danielle Pletka, who will go down in history as one of the primary pushers of Ahmed Chalabi and all his lies to get us into Iraq War II. She's from the American Enterprise Institute. She asked Ron a question about Somalia. And it's about al-Shabaab and terrorism and non-intervention and whatever. 
And Ron just goes, huh, what, there's Shabab there? You asking about terrorism? And kind of pretends not to hear her question exactly. And he goes, oh, so you're asking about terrorism. Well, I'm so glad you brought it up. And then he says, right here joining us tonight, there's Paul Wolfowitz. Hi, Paul. And they show Wolfowitz sitting in the chair there. And he goes, see, Paul Wolfowitz, you guys could all ask him. He explained over and over again. That the reason Al-Qaeda attacked us on September 11th was because we had all those bases in Saudi Arabia that were using to bomb Iraq in the 1990s, right? And then they put the camera back on Wolfowitz, only the angle is from the back. So you can't see his face, unfortunately. But what you can see, I swear, it's just like if it was in some goofy sitcom or something, is he he's, starts biting his thumbnail. You know, like he has his – he oh. has his – his fist and thumb in classic thumb sucking pose, right? With like the palm of his thumb up. I mean, the pad of his thumb up and he's, and he's biting on his fingernail and sinking in his chair, like, Oh, sliding down his deep slouch into his chair because everybody in the place is turning to look at him because, Oh yes, actually Paul Wolfowitz said over and over again, and, of course, his spin was, this is why we have to invade Iraq. We've got to get our bases out of Saudi Arabia. So what we'll do is we'll invade Iraq and move our bases a few hundred miles north into there and out of Saudi into Iraq, and it'll be fine. They won't mind that. He's a real deep thinker, this Wolfowitz, you understand. Yeah. But there he was, and, and it was just such a great moment because he's, you know, Wolfowitz is widely known as the most influential neoconservative inside the W. Bush government and the most powerful one. I mean, Richard Pearl was very influential, but he was on the defense policy board. Wolfowitz was the deputy secretary of defense and was extremely influential, was known as the architect of that war, had been pushing for it since at least 1997. And, you know, even going on, I think he contradicted himself. I found an article from 94 or five by him saying that, they shouldn't have gone all the way to Baghdad, but it wasn't very long before he was saying they should have. And um, and anyway, so for him as, you know, kind of one of the more influential and leading foreign policy, you know, uh, mandarins in the room to be the one that Ron Paul cites to bludgeon the rest of them over the head with was pretty nice, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and, and all especially to see him. his defeat too. He didn't sit there proudly like, "Well, yes, I did say that because it's true," and cross his arms. You know, instead he starts sucking his thumb and sinking <laughs> in his chair, completely humiliated and embarrassed. You know. Oh, I gotta find that clip and put it in the show. Yeah, it's great. And one thing that was cool is I had him on my show the next day, and I said, "Well, you know." That completely dishonest woman, Danielle Pletka, did ask you a question about al-Shabaab in Somalia. So you want to answer that? And he goes, well, sure. He goes, you know, I don't know too much about it. And then he goes on for like five minutes explaining the entire war and how it's all George Bush's fault and what we ought to not do anymore and the rest. So, of course. Yeah, that, that wonderful humbleness that comes with uh, a sharp mind and an edge is uh, just really great. And by the way, you know, for your audience, I'm sure many of them know, but just in case they don't, Ron Paul absolutely kills it on foreign policy every day. War and peace. You know, Mr. Goldbug, Mr. Austrian School Economics, he talks about gold on Fridays. He talks about war and peace and debunking the lies of the war party Monday through Thursday with Dan McAdams on the Liberty Report. And there's nobody better. 
There's nobody better than these two guys telling you why you don't have to believe the lies that these people tell you. And I mean, man, there's just nothing better. And think about that. The guy's he's like 84 now. He's long gone from the House of Representatives. He could be sitting on his front porch in a rocking chair, drinking tea, looking at his great great grandchildren and relaxing. And instead, every morning gets up first thing. All right, what do we got, Dan? Every morning. And, you know, first of all, he's a hero. But second of all, it's really great stuff. If you really want to understand what's going on in the world, that's all you need. And, of course, they're reading antiwar.com every morning, I should mention, but still. <laughs> and uh, it, they're really relatively concise uh, episodes. Um, they do a, a great job of uh, cutting out the fluff, hitting the yep. uh, intense parts. Ron Paul Liberty Report. Well, Scott, I told you I'd keep you for a half hour, and it's right about there. Uh, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. And I, I think I'll be seeing you in October on the Contra Cruise. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. If they haven't canceled all the cruises in the world for the coronavirus <laughs> by then, I keep thinking. Uh, hey, let me tell your people real yeah, quick. Quite a while. My ahead, book, yes. The Great Ron Paul, it's 39 interviews of Dr. Paul by me going back to 2004. And then there's one speech that I gave a couple years ago in Houston about how much I love the guys in there, too. And you can get so that that's on Amazon. You can get that yep. uh, directly from Libertarian Institute, correct? Um, yeah, no, it's all through. Oh, well, I mean, you can get one as a kickback for donations to the Institute if you're interested in that. But otherwise, yeah, you can just find it on Amazon there. And uh, it's really and great. I mean, you know what? Ron Paul's good on everything. And you'll see in the book, 2004, over 39 interviews. What did I say? 29? Yeah, 39 interviews. He's just good on every single thing in the world. As I mentioned we talk, of course, about Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and Korea and Somalia and everything else. And, of course, the economy. And um, the guy's just brilliant. And I think people really like it. I hope they do. Excellent. Uh, LibertarianInstitute.org. Yep. And ScottHortonShow.com. And it's been a delight. Uh, you take care, Scott. Thank you. Appreciate it.